and welcome to the Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 81. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? What is up is uh, we are going skiing this weekend. That's what's up. Yes, welcome to Match. It is Match first when we're recording this podcast, which is a little bit scary, but you know. Hey, as long as there's uh, some skiing to be had, we're there. We're making it work out. So thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Check us out at skibumpodcast.com. Check us out on our social media, ski, yeah, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, sometimes on soundcloud.com slash skibumpodcast, and on Pinterest as the Highfalutins. And if you could, go to your favorite podcast app and rate us. We have instructions on the website if you need a little bit of help because on iTunes they make it a little more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. It's a little little strange. Yeah, you know how they are. So with that, starting off the way we always do, with the Apre today. Time for a little Apre. Yes. So had another another it's been a long week already. We're hitting the the stride getting into the weekend. Yeah, we're uh we're in our Hoboken studio this week and Sleep has not been so good in lovely Hoboken due to water main breaks and fire trucks at five in the morning. Oh, is it water main break season? Eh, it's always water main break season. <laughs> it, you know, if it's a month that ends in er or why, it's a it's water main season. Nice. And this is why we have uh, a prey after uh, after long week like this. So this I am we're uh, we're actually paying tribute to our buddies at Magnify this uh, week. And, Shout out uh, to our pals, the Eric's and family at Magnify. The Roots is right. Um, yeah, so I'm having the low visibility pale ale. Uh, this one's delicious. I like it. Um, really good. It's pale ale. It looks a little cloudy. Um, definitely not as uh, definitely right in the profile of a pale ale. Not not sweet. Not bitter. It's just it's really good. It's very tasty. This is something you could have with a nice meal or something. Very nice. And I am drinking the Vineshine IPA, which is pretty much their their standard that you can get in a lot of places. A it's, lot of bars carry that, yeah. Yeah, especially in the the North Jersey area. It's six point five percent. It's uh, it's not cloudy. It's an it's a, it's a clear IPA, a little bit cloudy. Uh, it's lighter, um, very easy drinking, not too heavy. Now this past weekend, I we were out and I had a Magnify Double IPA, the Smell You Later. And if you are a fan of big, dank, citrusy IPAs, dank. which are my favorite, try to find that. It is delicious. Um, I found it at a, a local place and had two of them. Nice. And then went grocery shopping after and ate half a quart of ice cream on the way home. Nice. So it's one of those kind of beers. Uh, delicious, but makes you do things you'll regret in the morning. <laughs> but if eating half a quart of ice cream is the only thing you do, was it really that bad? Was it that bad? You could do worse. Well, they have another can release this weekend. Uh, actually, on Friday. They're going to release the Citra Polo, uh, which I had when I was there. It's a double double citrus IPA. Uh, really good. Oh, you had it today? Yeah. They, they only had it on draft, but the Ooh. cans are coming out Friday. So I was like, well, let me have a small one, just a little one. And mm. uh, it was really, really tasty. Oh, I bet. Yeah, the, the profile they were mentioning for it sounded awesome. Yeah. I want to try to get my hand on some of those cans. But they're going to have the Citra Polo and one of the other, uh, the 
the double uh, another double IPA in the uh, in Kansas this Friday. So hopefully, I don't know if they're gonna sell out or uh, flashbacks. That's what it is. Flashbacks are forever, and it has mangoes in it. Ooh, mangoes. Yeah. So I didn't try that one. Uh, but yeah, they have the whole on Instagram. They have the whole um, the tap list this week. I guess they're they're posting it weekly, which is nice. Yeah, Magnify's making some legit beers. Yeah. So keep up the good work, guys. Copious amounts of juice. That's what it is. Copious amounts. Copious amounts of juice. Oh, not that. Uh, flashbacks are forever, and that's the one that has mangoes in it. Mm. Sounds good. Nine seven three milk porter. <laughs> Yeah, they got some good stuff going on there. They're really playing around with the beers and finding some finding some really good ones. Uh, I like how they brew some, and then they don't brew it again, and people come back like, dude, where is that beer? I want to have that again. You know? Yeah, they're creating demand. Well, a lot of the smaller you know, craft breweries are doing that now. They're just creating with the ingredients they have, and maybe they'll make it again. Maybe they won't. So instead of making, you know, say you make a huge, you know, uh, huge amount of a particular beer and people don't like it then you're stuck with that beer that nobody likes so yeah you know exactly. not exactly the smartest business move so they're uh, they're trying these smaller batches finding out what works and you know uh creating demand by only making small amounts yeah and they're they're kind of blowing up like we were talking about before they're, they're everywhere now they're still expanding where they uh where you can find them uh and they're involved in so many events like they're posting that they're going to be at you know, this beer tasting, that event. We got to look into, uh, again, the Atlantic City Beer Festival. Mm-hmm. It was gigantic. And we went last year. It was fun. And, and Eric was there with his girlfriend. It was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Nice. Hung out with him for a little bit. You know, he's there with the dogfishes and with all the other, you know, big brewers that are that are out there. And there's him with his little thing. I was like, this is pretty cool. Yeah, it's something to aspire to. You know, you see the uh, those guys who were probably in his same shoes just a couple years ago. Yeah. Now, you know, blowing up. It's good to see. I'd like to maybe try to see if we could do something with them. Maybe yeah, up, right. Sit up there, hang out, podcast a little. Maybe they can name a beer after us. Oh, that's right. Right? Yeah. Like a highfalutin double IPA? Copious amounts of podcasting. Of yeah. Skiing. Copious amounts of ski in a can. Maybe they could put a little bit of uh, weed in that beer. Ooh. Allegedly, perhaps. Co- copious amounts of weed. <laughs> copious amounts of weed. <laughs> copious amounts of something. <laughs> speaking of which. Speaking of which, it's time for a little ride in the gondola. A little ride in the gondola. So, this week, we don't have a, uh, a bean of the week, and that's okay, because we are going into a story which is a uh, very anti-bean of the week. We'll Which still play is, the music, though. Yes, we're going to need the music. We're going to need more of this music. So newly appointed Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who is a long, outspoken opponent of drug legalization, is signaling he will continue to tow a tough line against marijuana as the nation's top lawman, even though a growing number of states are moving to legalize or decriminalize cannabis. Damn. So this came out last week when... Um, White House spokesman uh, Sean Spicer was saying that, you know, hey, we're going to, the DEA is going to start cracking down on uh, on states that have legalized. There was no real details to it, and nothing has really come out saying, hey, we're going to start busting up pot shops. But it was uh, enough to make cannabis stocks take kind of a dump the next day after 
after the uh, comments by Spicer. Man. So people are a little concerned. And was that the real Spicer or the Saturday Night Lights? I wish it was the <laughs> Melissa McCarthy Spicer. That would have been a lot funnier, <laughs> I think. So, you know, it's... Excuse me. So one of the things it says is... Now, this, this is what drove me crazy. It, this is a quote from Sessions. He said, we're seeing, seeing real violence around that. Experts are telling me that there's more violence around marijuana than one would think, and there's big money involved. The only violence there is that I see is us being pissed off that they're talking about cracking down on marijuana. Or getting pissed off that someone's eating your Cheetos or your Ben and Jerry's. I'm saying. And now this goes into our other story. Uh, did you know that uh, Jeff Sessions was actually a uh, a shill for the tobacco industry in the 80s and 90s? Damn. Yes, he was. Big tobacco. In- he made the quote that uh, states can pass whatever laws they choose, but I'm not sure we're going to see a better, healthier nation if we have marijuana being sold at every corner grocery store. So what about cigarettes? Yeah, those are, were sold everywhere. They had vending machines for that. Bowling alleys. But everywhere, yep. With vending machines, yeah. You still see it in Europe. They still have the vending machines everywhere. Even like little towns, like the little villages. Yeah. There's like nothing else. There's no stores, yep. but there's cigarette vending machines. You think it's like a little mailbox, and it's like, no, that's a cigarette machine. You just walk up and get your cigs. Yeah. So cigarettes are legal, but people are smoking less because they, they're not happy with the way they feel, the health repercussions of them. But uh, according to this article on Gizmodo... When Jeff Sessions was elected for Senate in 1996, he was given so much money from R.J. Reynolds, the maker of Camel cigarettes, that he actually had to send money back to the company because they donated more than was legally allowed. Wow. Isn't that insane? Trying to paper that, uh, the, the favors, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so this is the guy who's saying that marijuana... You know, there's the business around marijuana has lots of violence. Yeah, it's got lots of money, which is the reason why a lot of states are starting to legalize it, because states like Colorado are making over a billion dollars in tax revenue by selling this product that's way safer than tobacco and probably actually is way safer than alcohol, too. Yeah. Something's got to be nice. I just think they got to legalize it at a federal level so that it could get in the works of being you know, state-driven, state, state driven, with yeah. the states, you know, have that governance. And then you can do, they'll be able to bank and loan and, and, you know, do studies on it and research, and that would be a good thing. Yeah. And then there's a, uh, you came across a uh, pledge, a, uh, um, this is a, uh, what should we call it? It's a petition, petition. on whitehouse.gov. Yeah, and it's basically uh, to keep the campaign, campaign pledge to respect state marijuana legalization laws. And, you know, it goes in there and it basically says that, um, you know, just exactly what that is. They want uh, to make sure that the federal government doesn't crack down on states that have legalized and let the states uh, run the, uh, the legalization or, or um, criminalization of it. Yeah, and, you know, now with the Republicans controlling the White House and— uh the Senate and the Congress there. Uh, it looks like, you know, a lot of, you know, Republican traditional Republican beliefs are to allow States to have their own laws and to have those less big government, less big government and have state laws, you know, yeah. be the ones that are followed. Now 
with you know cannabis being legalized in what was it nine states now? I believe it was nine and District of Columbia. We're gonna see if with and, and that's for um, recreational. Recreational, yeah, yeah. They're saying they're not gonna touch medical. That's that's its own thing. That's in. Yeah, that's that's no problem. But recreational, they're saying that you know they've always respected states' ability to create their own laws, and now are they gonna stick to that or are they gonna use their their federal um, agencies to? I just think it's bad business. They they were doing this way back. Remember when California had the medical marijuana, and they would go in and the DEA would raid and close down a shop. Mm-hmm. You know, put the you know charge the owner with a federal crime, all this other stuff, and then they'd open up the next week, but they would lose a ton of money, and it was just bad for business, bad for everybody. And legally, they could probably go ahead and do that today. I mean, but what what good would that serve? You're just going to tie up the, you know, the court system with this bullshit because it's, you know, illegal federally and legal in the state. So now you're fighting, you know, sovereignty rights of, of who gets to make that call. Yeah. So the Tenth Amendment gives state laws uh, precedent over federal. So we'll see if they stick to that and what happens. And who knows what's going to happen in November if more states are going to legalize. I, you know, I'm sure based on the, the fact that 71% of adults now believe that recreational cannabis should be legalized, we're going to see a few other states that are going to look to legalize and take advantage of all the positive cash flows that states like Colorado and Washington have been seeing the last few years. Big money. Big money. All right. So with that, it's time for our weekly Julian's Pout Look. Yes. Time for the Pout Look. So, broad look. Low-pressure system coming down from the Gulf of Alaska, bringing lots of moisture to the west coast of North America. The storm system will make its way east by mid-next week. Best bets. Thursday, we can expect to see some snow in British Columbia making its way down to Washington later in the day. By Friday night, Mount Baker could see over a foot and a half. Wow, ski clubs there now. Are they really? They're at Baker. I hate them. Yeah. Uh, For the weekend, (laughs) the Tahoe region can expect to see up to two feet Saturday night through Sunday. As the storm makes its way further east, Idaho, southern Montana, Wyoming, and Utah could see around six inches Sunday night. Monday, Colorado will get what's left of the snow until it picks up more moisture from the Gulf and sends it to the east. Toward the middle of next week, the east coast will see some precipitation, and if it stays cold enough, hopefully it will be all snow. Weekend review. Utah is the big winner this past week. Snow Basin getting almost 70 inches this week, and Snowbird, Brighton, and Powder all breaking 60 inches. Why couldn't it be when we were there? No, well, it was 60 degrees while we were there, which is the same thing, almost. It's like the... 60 degrees, they get inches instead of degrees now. Yeah, they're flipping the script now. Flipping the script. So thank you, Julian, so much for the uh, the pat look this week. So those are your picks. If you can get out to Tahoe this weekend, I'd say go for it. Yeah. Looks like a pretty good bet. Kind of anywhere out west. Yeah. Ski Club comes back, I think, Saturday from Baker. Yeah. They're there now. That's That was the comment of seeing all the people putting on Facebook all these pictures. They're not going to make it back. They're all in Baker. They're yeah. going to be trapped. Be trapped. They'll be snowed in. Good for them. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. We won't hate. Nope. We're keeping it, uh, keeping it positive. Keeping it classy. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for... 
Oh, a little ski news coming out. Time for a little bit of ski news. First off, uh, since we're here on the East Coast, we like seeing things that are East Coast oriented because, you know what, on the West Coast, you're just getting pounded with snow, so you're actually out there skiing and enjoying. You don't have to dig up news because you're making the news. Exactly. So, here we go. Tug Hill, Redfield, New York, reigns as the snowiest place in the East. Damn. Have you ever heard of that, Redfield, New York? I have no idea where that is. You went to school nearby there. So rough. Oh, yeah, it's by Rochester. Yeah, so 90 miles Mm. east and even further north than Rochester, New York, you will find the sparsely populated and heavily forested town of Redfield. Located smack dab between Lake Ontario and the Adirondacks, this place gets snow and local legend and unabashed snow lover Carol Yurden is happy to report the news of hitting 300 inches for the year. Wow. And we are still in February. That's nuts. I wish all that snow was hitting right over Killington right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's relatively plateau-y over there, so not a lot of mountains in which to ski on. But this area is the top lake effect snow spot in North America. So Redfield, New York is number one. Houghton, Michigan is number two. Hooker, New York, number three. Hooker. Perrysburg, New York, number four. And Tequamanon Falls, Michigan is number five. Michigan. So lake effect snow, for those unfamiliar, is snow created when air passes over relatively warm water, picking up moisture as it goes, and then dumping it. Just dumps. It just it kind of plumes up and then just down. It's yeah, crazy. I used to when it, so I went to school in Buffalo and uh, they used to get a lot of lake effect and it was like when it moves in it just comes and it comes pretty heavy and it just dumps and then moves moves out. It's kind of it's kind of like a quick flash phenomenon. Yeah. So crazy but, snow hitting Redfield, New York. Crazy generous snow. Believe the hype. Believe it. All right, next we got a... Uh, so uh, there's a video of a skier falling off a chairlift at Kirkwood. Um, looks pretty funny. Uh, the Luckily, the person was not hurt. Uh, they fell into a ton of snow. So uh, luckily for them, there's a ton of snow to fall into. Uh, still looked like it would have hurt if he was higher, but it only looked like they were, like, I don't know, maybe 10 feet up. 10 feet and fell into a bunch of snow. Yeah, 10 feet above the snow. And as we know now from seeing photos... Like the snow's piled up so much that sometimes the ski lift isn't built high enough for what <laughs> snow's fallen. So, you know, with that in mind, that's you know, that's exactly uh, what probably helped make sure this person uh, came out unscathed. But uh, I think they were screwing around in the lift. Yeah, I don't know what they were even doing on there. It looked kind of they were turned kind off of strange. Yeah, it was, sideways or something. Yeah, they were kind of diagonal on the lift. So I don't know what was going on there, but uh, it was. It's funny that someone actually recorded it. And I wonder, you know what, though? Maybe it was staged if the person was actually recording. I mean, why else would you record people on the yeah, chairlift? That's true. So, Although it is easy to fall off. Like, there are times where I think everybody's, like, been messing with their gear on the lift. And you're like, oh, crap, I almost started slipping off or something. So maybe maybe it's something like that. or I guess. I don't know. At least it wasn't another backpack. That's true. Getting caught. God on forbid something. those evil backpacks. Oh, yeah. They're not allowed anywhere now, right? Yeah, I got uh, I got reprimanded for trying to wear one at JPEG a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, I think they're just cracking down since uh, Sundance. I don't know if it's a Vermont law, but they were saying they were saying that it was a law now that you can't wear a backpack on a chairlift. They don't act quick about anything other than a backpack law that has to be enforced. Yeah, so a bunch of freaking stoners working the chairlift are going to be on top of this now. And I just think it's stupid to make you take off your backpack and, and wear it or hold on to it when you get on the lift. Let's make it a front pack, yeah. It's like more dangerous. Yeah, because now you have, instead of the weight kind of holding you back in the chair, it's now pulling you forward. And you got all the, your straps dangling because you've taken your backpack off. That's ready to get caught in something. It's madness. Madness. Too many lawyers. Too many goddamn lawyers. Like Simon said, I'm, just keep the backpack on. And just, what are you going to do? We're going to yeah. do bra. What are you yeah. going to do? I'm getting on the lift. I'm protesting. <laughs> That's right. All right. Next up. So I have mixed feelings about this story. Uh-oh. So this is from Snowboard Magazine, and it's uh, a, a snowboard company up in Vermont, Powder Jet Snowboards, cr- uh, put together a little group to poach Vermont's ski-only resort, Mad River Glen. Hmm. So what they ended up doing is grabbing this group of snowboarders, and they hiked up and boarded back down. And the it seems the... The law or the rule there is that you can't snowboard, take a snowboard on the chairlift. Oh, all right. So they didn't break any rule? No, because there is a hiking trail there, and I guess they just hiked up and were able, to, up, man. were able to just uh, board their way down. Nice. So, again, I have mixed feelings because as a skier, I uh, I feel like 70% of the shenanigans that annoy me or are extremely dangerous on the mountain tend to be done by snowboarders. Mm. Broad generalization, I know. I have plenty of friends who snowboard. But It's funny. Every time you say something like that, snowboarders come out and they say, I have so many stories about skiers being dicks. I've been a dick <laughs> plenty of times myself. <laughs> I understand this. But I have a podcast and you don't, so I'm going to say oh. what I want to say now. Damn. What? That's cold, man. Yeah. So on the other side, though, as someone who likes to see people sticking into the man, I do like that these snowboarders are like, you know what? Can't come here. Kiss our ass. We're going to, you know, we're going to go on there anyway. I like it because they earned it. They had a, they walked up. You walk up any mountain, whether it's banned or not, you deserve to ski a board down whatever you walk up. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah kind of like you keep what you kill you know <laughs> eat what you kill right yeah that's right totally so uh and they mentioned in the article too that mad river Glen was not always you know anti-snowboarding so the area was founded on rockefeller money with the goal to keep commercialization off the slopes so it was actually one of the first to welcome snowboarders in the 1980s it's kind of funny when they say to keep commercialization off the slopes. It's all commercial. There's logos on everything. Now. I know, right? It's Seriously. just pretty funny. Like the sport is like all logos. Well, I mean, on everything. Well, we were joking when we were out in Snowbird. How Snowbird has you can get anything with the Snowbird logo on it. Snow, Snowbird toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, they had the Snowbird coffee. They had Snowbird napkins. Yeah, they, you know everything. Everything's branded. Everything you could imagine. So. What happened at Mad River Glen is after a series of events culminating in an infamous confrontation between the former owner, Betsy Pratt, and a group of local riders brought about the snowboarding ban in 1993. Damn. Don't piss off Betsy, man. 
And then after that, the resort was purchased by a group of, of skier shareholders in 1995 who have steadfastly voted to maintain the ban ever since. Wow. Yeah. They're siding with Betsy. Side with Betsy. Don't mess with Betsy. She doesn't own it anymore. Screw that. They could do whatever they want. Well, now, because of the whole... I mean, you can actually go on there and buy shares of the mountain. Nice. And I guess if they ever got to a point where enough boarders purchased shares instead of spending all their money on that devil weed, according to Jeff Sessions, <laughs> then they could be boarding on the mountain. Blue Horseshoe says go long on Mad River. Think about that. I'm going to buy some stock in Mad River. Buy some shares. Do it, right? I think it's like two grand a pop or something. Oh, two grand a pop. Come on. Come on, man. That's nothing. Come on, man. It's like, we'll we'll just take ten. I'd rather take that two grand and then dump it into Tesla or Apple right now. There you go. I bought Tesla this week. Oh. I bought a Tesla this week. No. A Tesla? (laughs) A share of Tesla. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, I bought a few shares of Tesla. Why not? Powerful Tesla. This is after I get my bonus. It's like a little bit of a spread the wealth on the Got to shrimp tree it up a bit. Got to shrimp it up. Got to get a little stock. Expand that portfolio, son. Diversify your bonds. <laughs> so, All right, cool. what's next? All right, so next, uh, DPS, beautiful ski company that we know and love. Uh, they're selling a limited edition PAL ski for the next two weeks. So limited release only from March 1st through 15th. It's the Lotus 138 Spoon. Uh, 138's pretty damn fat. I was looking at Brian... Uh, is the owner of New Skis, and I was looking at his, and yours are like 115. 115, yeah. I couldn't even imagine 138. Uh, it's got to be like a snowboard on each foot. And they're 192 length. Length, yeah. So they're just monstrous. You're like stuck to either being tall or skiing on a baller ass size. Yeah, right? That's awesome. So, yeah, they, so, um, yeah, they periodically release a bunch of different uh, skis, so you kind of had that scheduled down. Uh, what was the, uh, yeah, it's cool the way they do it. So they have three different, you know, um, limited, limited edition releases they do every year. So this one is the, uh, the pow, um, pow time, pow time. So this is March 1st through March 15th. They do the tour time, which runs from April 1st to April 15th, celebrating the time of the year when days grow longer and bigger ski lines become more accessible. Do you see what type of skis you're going to have? What fatness or? Well, probably more touring, so I guess they'd be lighter. Um, probably middle of the road. Yeah, like hundreds or so. Yeah, right? hundred maybe a little <laughs> bit more than that. And then in the summertime, they do DPS Dream Time, which is July 15th through August 1st. And it's the opportunity to break the summer spell and place all attention on skiing while fantasizing about the coming winter. Or maybe you're buying them in the summer because you're going down to Valle Navarro or Chile. Bariloche. Bariloche. And you're going to use them. But also, additionally, during dream time, it is the only time of year when DPS offers discounted price on its skis. Boom. They never discount. I got a pair of discounted skis, but I don't know why. They're probably defective. They're probably break. (laughs) They're defective. They're defective, but yeah, they they don't budge on their price at all. Mismatch skis. Mismatch skis. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were saying how we tried to buy them in uh, Whistler, and they just wouldn't budge. They're like, no, nah, we're going to sell them. Tried to get a deal. <laughs> yeah. They're like, deal? We're going to just wait two weeks and sell them anyway, yeah, dumbass. seriously. Get out of our store. <laughs> so going back to Mad River a sec, and yes, it is $2,000 for a share. 
Uh, you can purchase it through a single payment or in 40 monthly installments of $50 with a $150 down payment. Huh. And what do you get for that? You get any, like Warren Buffett, you get a, a junket, you get a free lift ticket. You get nothing. nothing. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, advanced purchases can be applied to nearly every product and service at the mountain. Um, I don't really understand what you get. Yeah. You just get to own part of the... And you got to fill out an application for ownership. So why wouldn't you take the two grand and invest it in Vail? <laughs> yeah, Vail's got a nice dividend. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what do you actually get here. I'm still trying to find something out. Yeah. You get to vote. You get nothing. Oh, you get to vote on the board? You get to vote on something. See, if you vote out all the people that are voting to keep snowboarding banned, then you start replacing with your people on the board That's that are pro-snowboarding. Yeah. So if snowboarders really want to do, they should buy a ton of shares in Mad River, and then they could make it happen. That's what I'm saying. Instead of buying so much of that devil weed. Devil weed, that's right. Don't buy the devil weed. You could be buying shares of Mad River Glen and getting onto the mountain. And then you could buy shares of devil weed later. Exactly. Once you own the mountain and you have a place to have your devil weed, you can then invest in the devil weed. Yeah. There's all, yeah, you can go to the website and look at all the bylaws and stuff. Bylaws? I don't know. Bylaws. Eligibility, admission, rights, obli- oh, it's obligations. Obligations. Ugh. What do you got a work week up there or something? You got to go help clean up the mountain. There's all kinds of minutes and Damn, minutes. It seems very involved. It seems like work. Yeah. So you invest in in like a job, like you're going to work for that. I guess so. Work sucks. Damn, work sucks. All right. So Vale's at one eighty three. It's trading at one hundred eighty three dollars a share right now. Yeah. Right. Up two. Uh, up two bucks today. I think everything was up two bucks today. Yeah, this has steadily gone up in the last, like, five years. It's been just climbing. They got a solid dividend, too. That's it. Yeah, it's not bad. Dividend yield, 1.77%, it says. It's not that high, but still, it's nice. Because then when you're going skiing at these Vail resorts, you are pretty much paying yourself back because, you know, you're getting a cut of that in your dividend. Free lift ticket. Free lift ticket, pretty much. Maybe one lift ticket a year, right? See? Not so bad. Depending on how many shares you own. All right, so next up, there is an Indiegogo campaign we have recently become aware of and we wanted to share with you guys. It's for a product called SoundShield, which is audio for action sports reinvented. It's a helmet and microphone, or I'm sorry, helmet and headphones combined. And what makes this product unique, uh, now Mario, I know you have a pair of those outdoor research. Yeah, the Bluetooth chips. Bluetooth chips. They're good. So those just kind of drop into any helmet, right? Yeah, because uh, most helmets either have a zip pouch by the ears now um, or they have, you know, a Velcro thing or just a, a, a spot for it. Um, and people usually put headphones in, but these chips are great because they're Bluetooth and they have the controls on the, uh, you know, the backs of them or buttons. Mm-hmm. So you kind of control. And I tell you what, I've had conversations with people and they're like, yeah, I couldn't tell that you were actually skiing. I was actually going down. I was doing our limits one day <laughs> talking to my brother. He's oh like, really? He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like grunting. He's like, "He's like, are you skiing?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, <laughs> he's like Phew. I, "I I didn't want to ask what else uh, you were doing." But yeah, it was pretty funny. Nice. Yeah. So these are, it's the headphones and the helmet, as you know, together, but they're separate pieces. 
So it's the helmet like a itself, transformer it goes together. Sort of more than meets the eye. Awesome. So the helmet, you know, has the the large ear holes cut out, and when you combine it, the headphones they lock in. There's like a little uh, little switch. They lock into the helmet, and then the top part of the headphone, which usually goes above your on the top of your head, there, it goes back and connects to the back of the helmet so it's not interfering with the helmet and your head they have a little video of it and it looks really cool because it, it actually snaps in it's pretty slick the way they built this yeah they they definitely cool. have went through a bunch of prototypes to get this thing right and what's nice then also is after you're done you can just use the headphones as normal headphones they're bluetooth but they also have a 3.5 millimeter wire if you want to connect wired and a remote control. Well, yeah, the uh, the headphones themselves have controls built into the outside. Mm. So you can, you know, single tap will pause your music, take and end calls. Double tap will skip a track. Triple tap will go to the previous track. And holding it will pair the phone to your headphones. And another feature is that the outside of the right headphone is a volume control. It's pretty cool. So the middle part is what you tap on, and then the outside is what you use for the volume control, which is a pretty slick design. Well, I like the fact that you have the option if you want to plug it directly into something else so that it doesn't have to be charged and use the Bluetooth. Because if, like, mines aren't charged, I'm kind of screwed. Uh, I just don't have anything. Yeah. You know, there's no option. But uh, that's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, we'll have the link on in the notes and if you guys want to check it out take a look and they got how many days left they got 22 days left and they've already raised 32,000 of the 50 they're going for so with says flexible goal flexible goal so they uh, they still may oh it says the campaign will receive all funds raised even if it does not reach the goal oh so it's still going to go towards because they're they're going to they're committed to producing they're making this, it happen yeah which is cool yeah it seems like a great product the one thing that would be nice is if the helmet was a MIPS, the multi-impact protection system. Mm. That's the one thing the helmet seems to be lacking. I mean, it's that's it, phase two. I guess that's phase two. I mean, it passes all the other, you know, helmet inspection. You know, the uh, ABS shell, EPS liner, ASTM certified. This is a great system. I wonder, like, you know, I look at some of these Indiegogos and some of the Kickstarters and stuff, and I wonder. This is such a great concept. Are they really looking to be a producer of this technology, or are they looking to build it, develop it, make a bunch of units, and then sell it to some bigger helmet producer and sell that technology to them? Because I'm sure there might be some patents involved in this, too, and that's where the real gold is, too. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm surprised, you know, like a Beats or something wouldn't, you know, be on top of this. Yeah, because I was talking to a lady in... um, in Deer Valley, when we went into that store, and they were watching me because I'm Puerto Rican, they were like, you know, making sure I didn't steal stuff. As they should. Um, <laughs> and I was huh. talking to her about uh, the chips, and I told her I saw they were branded, uh, not the ones that I got, not the ones they had in the store, but they had some branded with Smith uh, goggle optics, mm-hmm. I guess, and helmet. So I guess they were they were sharing their branding where they were allowing other companies to put their their brand on it too, which was pretty interesting. I was like. So here they are. They're still making them, but they're selling probably licensing to brand, you know, runs of their, their chips or whatever. Yeah. Pretty cool. Makes sense. 
I know there were some helmets that I think had beats built into them. Oh, I did they? It was Pac or, or one, of, one of the, the, the helmet companies had had like beats. Were they like really big on the outside? No, they were just the normal, they were the normal size, but they had the beats logo oh, on nice. the side there. Yeah. Yeah, they must have had it in. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, all right. So, next up. All right, next up, we have uh, a, per, uh, a man named Elias Ambul. Broke the world record by skiing switch at 81.54 miles per hour. Um, he did it in a training session at Arosa, Switzerland, earlier this week. And it shattered the previous world record uh, set by Anders Bakke in 2013, who did it, who skied switch at 79.97 miles per hour. Um, now, to put it in perspective, uh, and I think we, we kind of covered this um, John Clare, uh, Clary uh, in Wagon, Switzerland, was skiing downhill, and he skied at 61.9 uh, kilometers per hour. or 161.9. 161. Uh, 100 miles per hour, basically. So 20 miles an hour less, but they were going backwards. Yeah. It's, the, the video is awesome because you look at it, and it's like, all right, here's the moment. He's going head first. He's getting ready to do the switch over, and that's the crucial moment because at that point, he's probably going like 80, 90 miles an hour. Yeah, he was flying. And you're jumping up to go backwards. So that was pretty neat to watch. Definitely yeah. definitely good to watch. Very impressive. So congratulations, Elias, because that is a, a badass move right there. Oh, and uh, another thing we should add to Ski News is uh, our uh, occasional podcast buddy, uh, John, uh, he bowled a 300 game last week. What? 300 game. He's a big bowler. Always been a big bowler. Uh, he bowled a 300 game and an 800 series, which is very impressive. Natty Ice. So 800 series out of three games, You're ta- and one of them was a 300, so the other games he had to average 250 on, him, on he, both of those games, which is pretty crazy. He's a bad man. That's a badass bowling. Uh, and that's proof of it. Yeah. So congratulations, John, on uh, that 300 game. When he's not skiing, he's bowling. That's true. <laughs> what can't that man do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy. All right. So next up. We're on to the main topic. All right, Brian. So what are we talking about this week? So we're talking about deep pow problems this week. Deep pow problems. So out west, there is just so much powder everywhere. And as much as we love deep powder, there is also some serious danger that comes along with it. So we're here to give you some tips and advice to make sure you maximize your time, but also live to ski another day. So one of the things we were looking at last week um, is the website kbyg.org. And those initials stand for Know Before You Go. And they have a really... They have a really good video on there, which was an official selection at the Banff Mountain Film and Book Festival that you know talks about this organization and what they do and the steps that they have uh, to you know to to maximize your safety and be prepared on the mountain. So a quick overview is get the gear, then get the training, get the forecast, get the picture. And get out of harm's way. Hmm. And on the website, it kind of breaks these down into further details. 
And, you know, we've talked about the gear in the past. And, you know, we always talk about the avalanche, the beacon, the shovel, the probe. But one of the things that are most important about not just having those devices, but knowing how to use them. Because I know we're guilty of it, or myself, I'm guilty of it, is that I don't know my gear as well as I should. And if you're out there and your buddy is buried and you have these tools but don't know how to use them, they're just the same as having two wrenches. You know, they're not yeah. going to... And you're relying on other people. Like, So when I'm going with Brian, I'm relying on him to know how to use his gear to get me out. Exactly. And he's relying on me to know my gear to get him out. We're so both in deep shit, is what you're so, saying. So it's kind of, you know, it's a give and take. You really are, are trusting that everybody else has their gear, they, they have their shit together. Um, just like you have to come, you got to show up ready to go too, you know. So it's a uh, mutual respect. Yeah. And there's a few other things. Do you have the list of the other? Yeah. So the other things which are not uh, the standard, um, you know, the basics. Uh, the Avalon is very big this year because there's been a lot of tree well deaths. Um, and if anybody doesn't know, it's almost like a snorkel where if you get buried uh, face first, uh, the idea is you kind of breathe out of that uh, as a snorkel so that people can, can rescue you. Um, the Reco, so it's a small little reflector uh, that's sewn a lot of times sewn to clothing or equipment, um, and it actually allows you to be found by a Reco device. So I guess a special device that uh, Search and Rescue uses. Yeah, I was just looking at this because I know a lot of jackets. Yeah, you you see it in a lot of the gear. Yeah, and it's uh, it is a sophisticated radar technology. Um, huh. And organized rescue teams can use the lightweight handheld detector on the ground or from a helicopter, which allows for fast searching of large or dangerous areas. Skiers and riders are equipped with RECO reflectors that need no attention or effort. The only requirement is that skiers and riders make good decisions to avoid avalanches and other mountain dangers. Yeah. Uh, And then the other thing, too, is a whistle. So. This is important if you get separated, uh, whether you get whether it's avalanche or you get separated from somebody, uh, enter in a dangerous spot. Um, a whistle is really a good idea to have. Now you have one built in on your uh, backpack, right? Yeah, my my backpack that I use in the backcountry. I've got the uh, a Dakine backpack. I'm not. I forget the model. Um, but in the the top strap that goes across your chest, there's a built-in little whistle. It's built into like the clip, right? It's built into the clip, yeah. Which is awesome. So the plastic clip that you know connects has a whistle built into it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It, so look at your gear when you're buying it. That might be just a, a quick thing, you know, that they list that you're like, oh, this is cool. When you're you know comparing backpacks, like what's the better one to get? And one has a whistle. If they're even, that might put it over the top. It's a neat little feature, yeah, and it can really come in handy. I mean, it makes for being as tiny as it is built in, it makes a, a good amount of noise. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's helpful. See, it's just like that at the whistle. See, like a dog whistle. <laughs> dog I whistle. Just, we just blew it, and the dog was barking. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, so what else we got in the backcountry? We got... Um, so one of the other things, too, we, you know, we've talked about uh, in the past is tree wells. And this is, you know, it's kind of an under, underappreciated risk because it happens almost exclusively in resort. And what a tree well is, is it's formed when air pockets are created around the trunks of trees. Water vapor rises from the base of the trunk and turns the snow into a sand-like consistency. 
If a skier falls into a tree well, they will sink deeper and deeper into the snow the more they struggle to get out, similar to quicksand. And the official cause of death in these fatalities is snow immersion suffocation. Hmm. Sis. Don't be a sissy. You don't want that. Damn. Um, so they're saying that snow immersion and avalanches go hand in hand. When the risk goes up for one, it goes up for the other. So the more snow you have, the more potential for an avalanche, the more likely these tree wells can occur. It depends on the type of trees too, right? Pine trees are really the worst for it because of the way they're shaped. Mm-hmm. But we have birch. There's really not a lot of branches to to stop the you know to to kind of create this not as bad, um, and the snow kind of just fills in everywhere. Mm-hmm. So definitely you got to know the trees you're skiing in. Yeah, and they say the the most important thing is to make sure you ski with other people because a lot of times what happens is you're skiing alone and you get caught in one of these and no one knows you're gone, no yeah. knows you're missing. Um, really got to keep sight of everybody. Like, we're pretty good with that when we're going through trees. We're always looking for where so-and-so, and, you know, you want to keep an eye on each other. Yeah. And they say if you get caught in a tree, well, sometimes you can find air pockets and survive up to an hour, but for many, survival time is closer to 15 minutes. Mm. Um, when you fall into deep snow on a tree line, it's common that your body starts to slide in a way that your head falls before your body. Mm. So, I mean, going head first, you know, all you, I mean, just, just imagine that sensation of what that would feel like. And theoretically, you'd be in like three feet of snow, you fall head first, and you just can't, if you can't get up. Yeah, if your arms are kind of locked in, or, you know, yeah. you, maybe you break your arm when, when it happens, and you bang into a tree, you're just, there's nothing you can do. Just locked in, just suffocating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Avalon comes in handy, is the idea is you put in the Avalon, and then you're able to breathe even if you're face down. Yeah, they say that what you could try to do is digging your skis into the snow to turn around, bear-hugging trees, or clinging onto branches can get you out of that position, if that's possible. Hmm. Um, if you're going down, just grab onto any shit you can. Yeah. Really what it is. Yeah, there were, there were two deaths just this week. Um, one was in Sun Valley. Hmm. Someone was found dead, and a Connecticut snowboarder in Lake Tahoe. Wow. At North Star, just this week. So, this is happening uh, far far more frequently than anyone wants to see. Yeah, that's crazy. Very crazy. Yep. So those are the dangers. Uh, there's also just other you know um, other things to be aware of when you're in deep pals. So, um, powder skiing it's very, really very different than especially if we're you know like us on the East Coast. We used to groomed, um, icy conditions. We never really have to, to you know, deal fresh with grapes. the <laughs> fresh grapes. We don't have to deal with the techniques um, of, of skiing in powder. So it's good to kind of, especially if you get into powder, take your time, learn uh, how to handle in it. Um, but, you know, they uh, we found a, a little uh, place that gave us some tips on it. Um, and basically what it comes down to is, you know, skis get turned in three ways. Uh, one, by rotating it against the direction of travel. Two, by leaning the ski into its edge, which I think is what we mainly do out if we're not in powder. Um, and then three, by pressure. So um, the third method actually holds the, uh, the key when skiing in deep snow is using the pressure. Because I, I read something and they were talking about um, when you're in deep powder, it's almost like water skiing 
because the, the powder is moving, you know, so fluidly, mm-hmm. almost like you're in water. So they said it, it kind of gets into those dynamics of, of how you would do that. It's like the pressure of, of moving your skis around. Uh, so tip one, speed your friend. Without momentum, you can't do anything. Uh, basically, the powder is going to slow you up, and if you don't have speed, you're not going to be able to get through it. You're just going to kind of stop, and you kind of get stuck right in the powder. Yep. Uh, I actually got stuck in Telluride. <laughs> they got four feet of snow like just before we got there, and I decided to go uh, not – I don't think I was in a tree well, but I, I went near a tree, and I kind of just sunk down. <laughs> And I was, you know, down to, like, my waist, and I had to dig myself out. And, mm. you know, after about 10 minutes of sweating, digging, you, you're kind of like, this really sucks. How uh, how fat were the skis you had? Oh, they weren't fat at all. They were, like, thin little little twigs. Mm. Um, so tip number two, pressure control is key. So um, as you set off, uh, make a few controlled pushes, uh, reactions and small hops, they say it's a good way to get the feeling of the snow without committing to a turn. Uh, and then that will get you, you know, then you get a little bit, you know, bolder and, and more uh, fluid with your turns. Um, tip three, choose your gear wisely. So this goes to how fat were your skis, right? <laughs> uh, the bigger the bigger the skis, the, bit, the better the float. So um, it just makes it easier. It's not impossible to do with, you know, not fat skis, but... It's it's gonna take a lot more work. I mean, we've all skied in in powder with thin skis, and you just really have to work to keep the tips up, and uh, it's just a lot more more stress on your body. Yep. Um, the deeper the snow, the deeper the slope. So the risk of a- avalanche increases as it snows, as the slope increases towards an optimal angle uh, between twenty five and forty five degrees. Um, so this is kind of a danger zone. Um, what you want to do is have a steeper angle to get momentum in deep snow fields. So you'll still be able to make uh, turns at 20 degrees if the snow depth is less than 20 centimeters uh, if you have an all-mountain ski. So uh, picking the right gear, this is one of the reasons sometimes we uh, rent when we go out west uh, because we either don't own the right gear um, or we'd rather kind of see what the conditions are when we get out there. Um, Beware of myths and tricks. So... Um, you don't just sit back in deep snow uh, and just enjoy it. So that's a myth. Um, there's a, a bunch of different techniques, so kind of look into them, maybe ask a few people, maybe take a lesson. A lot of it, too, is feel. You know, you got you to gotta get out there and, and feel for yourself because, you know, it's, it's easy for people to tell you what to do, but you really need to get that muscle memory Yeah. by feeling the snow and knowing what feels right on your, on, in the powder. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the next tip is adapt, adapt your stance. So whether on your board or you're on skis, chances are you have to adapt your stance. Uh, for boarders, um, the article we, we were looking at uh, was saying um, to adjust your stance for a narrower stance. Um, and then for skiers, um, they also say keep your you know, keep your skis, uh, at an hour stance as well. So, uh, just something to be aware of. Like I've heard people say, Oh, keep your feet apart in powder. Um, and I guess that's a safer way to do stuff, but really not the true way. Like if you look at how they're telling you to ski deep powder, mm-hmm. they want you to keep your skis really close together. So, well, I guess that's the, 
one of the benefits of having the the wider skis too is you're you're keeping your feet together, but they're forced apart more because the skis are so wide. Yeah. So it's like a double win. And then mileage is the final piece of the puzzle. So uh, they're saying problem for the average recreational skiers, you rarely have the opportunity to practice in powder. So try to go and ski as much powder as you can. So basically go out west right now. <laughs> go west, young man. Go west. Yes. So also, I mean, and this is why, like, when we were out in Telluride, uh, not in Telluride, in Jackson Hall, they run a very uh, well-known program, the Steep and Deep Camp. So it's like, I think it's three days where they just go back country and they look for steep powder, um, deep, deep powder to just ski in. And that's one of those, you know, programs like that are you get like a extensive boot camp in, in powder skiing like mm-hmm. right away, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And one other quick uh, side note that we have is there's... You know, if you want to get to know your gear better and you want to understand how your transponders and your beacons work, there's a lot of big resorts out west that have beacon training parks. So they have places where, you know, they have the the beacons buried and you can practice using your gear, using your probe, your shovel, your beacon, finding, you know, the ones that are transponding and how to get to them quickly. So yeah, a lot of the you know, this uh, this is from backcountryunited.com. They have a list of all the the parks. I think when we were at Tommy Mo, we were asking him about it, mm-hmm. and he said the one thing you don't bring in that park is your shovel, because they get pissed off if you start digging up the uh, That's the transponders. True, yeah. So you got to look at the rule. You know they they have the rules posted or whatever, and they might move them too. They move them around. Yeah, a lot of the like I said, a lot of the big resorts out west, they all have them. So. That's something that you know we've talked about too in the summertime. Maybe going to you know since we are here on the East Coast and when we do go out west, you know the it's it's you don't like saying it, but it's true because you don't want to quote unquote waste your time on vacation doing these training courses. Yeah. So you know we've talked about it in the, in the summertime. Maybe getting a group together, going to the beach, burying some beacons, and trying to find them. You bury people too. Just bury them in the sand with the beacon on. Like just, we'll, uh, we'll get you later, man. Here's just get like a chip, chip them. At, you know, put the signal out, and we'll use them to track. Give them Avalon. They could breathe through yeah, that. Sure, <laughs> it's a Jersey thing. That's right. Something to do at the shore. So, if you have any cool other uh, tips, tricks, advice, please send them along to us. Skibumpodcast at gmail dot com, and we'll mention them on the podcast next week. For more information and to check out all of our links for these uh, this podcast, check us out at skibumpodcast.com or check us out on social media, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, occasionally soundcloud.com slash skibumpodcast, and on Pinterest as highfalutins. Send us some more email, people. We're yeah, waiting for email. Seriously, we love it. We're standing by, patiently waiting. We're the only people on earth who look forward to email. That's right. All right. Don't let us down. And with that, um, yeah, it's time. It's time to duck under the ropes and find out what crazy shit is down there, Brian. Oh, yeah. So the first story is a follow-up to the story we've been talking about the last couple weeks regarding the outdoor retailer trade show. And we mentioned last week that the organization is now dedicated to leaving Utah because of the controversy 
over Bears Ears National Monument and looking to take public land and sell it off. So now one of the cities that we talked about last week that was biding for the the show itself was Denver. And it looks like uh, Governor Hickenlooper, Senator Bennett, and Senator Gardner are working together. They're all uh, Colorado governor and senators. Sounds like a law firm. Hickenlooper, Bennett, and Gardner. <laughs> That would actually be a really good law firm. Yeah, right. I I would definitely work with them if I got into an accident. <laughs> so they're working together to, um, and they're, they're sending a letter to the outdoor industry and Emerald Expositions show owner to consider Denver as a potential new home for their their shows. So they put on two shows every year, a summer and a winter. It lures more than forty thousand people, and they tend to spend more than $45 million a year, which would go to the state's, you know, budget coffers. That's a pretty good chunk of change. Yeah, and that's all going to leave Salt Lake City. Wow. Because of, you know, the things we mentioned uh, earlier, <clears throat> the Bears Ears National Monument. And the 4% alcohol beer. And their stupid 4% <laughs> alcohol beer, yeah. And all their other beer laws. Yeah, uh, so it was mentioned that Patagonia and Arcteric were going to boycott it in Salt Lake City because of the attack on public lands. And um, just recently, Patagonia's chief, Rose Mercario, told Utah governor in a pivotal phone meeting last week that the state's public lands positions posed not a political issue, but a moral issue for her environmentally active and influential company. I think it's good they're putting up and not shutting up. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, this is a real cause, and this is something that you know, would really affect a lot of people and a lot of companies, uh, especially in, you know, the industries that we know and love, you know, hiking, skiing, rock climbing, all those industries depend on public land being available for people to use. Because I don't know how many of you know people who own their own private ski resorts. Yeah, right. I don't know any at this point. Zero. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, all those depend on public land being accessible to the people. So it's it's great seeing these companies make a stand, and I think I think we're all going to benefit from what they're what's going on right now with the outdoor con, uh, outdoor convention. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. So the the big heavy hitters are in on this, so they're kind of moving the needle because if if they come out, I guess they're some of the the keystones of the the event. Um, whereas if if it was if they were still on board and there were some smaller companies that were like oh we're boycotting it really wouldn't get heard you know so it's nice to see they're kind of standing together and uh it's gaining gaining steam yeah they're really gonna do it all right so next we got spacex which we love um they're gonna send two people around the moon they announced it this week so uh the first private citizens uh to orbit the moon next year will be aboard the spacex dragon um uh, which will be trained, the the people that are going to go up are going to be trained astronauts by then. So I guess uh, they make sure the check clears before they put them up. I don't know if they do payments while they're in training, but <laughs> uh, I got to imagine it's a pretty hefty price tag. Uh, Brian, you looked up, like, what's the average for, I didn't really realize they did space tourism as kind of regularly as it sounds. Well, wasn't there, wasn't Virgin Intergalactic going to run 
Yeah. Recently, I don't know if it's still planning. I mean, I think it was what two hundred thousand dollars a person. I thought they were building a place out in the middle of like Arizona or something like that. Yeah, that's that's still Virgin in the uh, works. I think it was Virgin, Virgin Galactic. Galactic. And I think it was at least two hundred thousand dollars per person. They have stock out there. <laughs> Do they really? Virgin Galactic. Yeah, it's the first world world's first commercial space line. They're saying. Yeah. One of the things they were saying um, with the SpaceX mission is that they didn't comment on the ticket price, but they said a comparable crewed mission to the International Space Station, NASA currently pays about $80 million for one seat on board uh, the Russian rocket to get up How there. How much? $80 million. Eight zero. All right, so... In all actuality, to just throw that much cash around, how much you got to be worth, like liquid, probably, to be able to say, "Yeah, I'll chuck eighty million dollars at that." I'm thinking you got to tack on at least three zeros. That's so crazy. You got to be worth eight billion dollars. Yeah, I think you got to hit a, hit a at least a billion. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe a billion might be safe. Billion is yeah. I mean that's. You could drop. It's still it's still Damn. a healthy chunk. But you still got nine hundred and twenty million floating around. Well, do you think Larry David would be? Able to, he would be able to do it, right? He'd almost be able to do it. Yeah, be able to just chunk that down. Pretty like close. Sure. Pretty, 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 pretty close. I would love to see Larry David go up there. He would fuck something up. You oh know my it. god, he'd lose, lose his mind. Probably <laughs> he gets stuck out in space or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the uh, pubic hair stuck. You know, you know, boy, Larry in space. <laughs> What's that noise? Do we have a leak? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So Musk didn't comment on the stick on the ticket price, but yeah, like he said, um, if if you need to ask, you can't afford it. It's one of those things. Yeah, I, I don't think you're even in the conversation there. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. So they're gonna go and maybe like a little bit like oh Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. So they can go fight, fight in, in space. outer space. And pay-per-view the shit out of that. It's a space fight! Space pay-per-view fight. Oh, that would be great. Space preview. Space preview. Yeah. The first one. Intergalactic, it's say, for the championship of the universe. Intergalactic champion. Intergalactic champ. No rules, no laws, be no like gravity. A, a planet on the belt, that'd be good. No, no rules, no. no laws, no gravity. It's basically all grappling and choking at that point. Yeah, then McGregor has the advantage. There you go. And technically... Now, you know how you go into international waters and you're not governed by any kind of laws? You're just out in international. When you go out into space, I guess technically if you're in the rocket, that's governed by some planet. I mean, some planet, some nation. Mm-hmm. But couldn't you say, well, you could fight to the death? I think you must be outside the jurisdiction of that nation when you're in space, though, right? I think we consider you in the nation. It's kind of like if you're on a cruise ship. It's it's uh, the banner is by a specific uh, mm. government, usually like Aruba or something like that. Or, yeah, yeah, that sucks. Well, what about maybe they could do mm. rounds? Like one round will be gravity, one round not gravity. I like it. You I know? like it. Just spin the rocket so they create the gravity. Yeah, they could have extra gravity, like a super Ex- gravity fight. <laughs> <laughs> super gravity. So you slam somebody to the ground, it hurts even more. Or super like, gravity. Or maybe they don't tell them like what round, like what gravity level they get so it's like a surprise they could like pump weed into there they could have a, a weed round <laughs> weed round 
Well, the problem All is right. the weed round, it wouldn't take effect soon enough. They'd just be standing around going, <laughs> yeah. why, are we, <laughs> why are we fighting, man? We should be hugging. Sort of making out. Uh, that's crazy. They actually said two dudes or girls, I don't even know who it is. They said two mystery ticket holders already paid a significant deposit for the trip, and they're saying it should last about a week long and log about 400,000 miles. Isn't that crazy? That's and it's going to be awesome. an automated spacecraft. There's not even, it's just all automated. Just get in, send you up, comes down, lands on a ship. It's kind of sketchy because they had a rocket blow up last year. Yeah, but then they landed the, uh, they sent the satellites, and then they, uh, right, that was the last thing we Yeah, last covered. week. But wouldn't you want maybe 10, 20, 100 more successful trips before you actually decide to fly with them? It's kind of like being the Christopher Columbus to take that first voyage versus the dude that's, you know, the person that's sitting on the cruise ship where they have, like, you know, a bar and a slide and, you know, watching a show. I'm happy being in the middle of that range. Yeah. You know, let them do a few manned missions, and then I'll go up. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's very crazy. So that'll be cool to see what happens. I look so now, this is happening next year? Yeah, so there's a while. Second quarter of 2018. Okay. Yeah, so I guess... Um, it's not that far away. I guess if they're planning to do an unmanned ship, which is kind of weird, too. Now they're sending... I guess they don't want to get into that conception of, like, we have for air flight today. Where if you were to have an unmanned like airplane, people are like, "Hell no, I'm not getting in. I want a pilot." You know, so maybe they're they're starting out from the start to say, "We'll just do unmanned stuff," and people get used to it. That's how yeah, we use, right? That's how we space it. That's how we evolve. That's right. So cool. We'll f- we'll find out more about that. I'm sure they're going to do other tests, send stuff up before then. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. Next up, now. This headline was awesome, but it is a tad bit clickbaity. Oh, it's still awesome. I still like saying it, though. Nutella will be used to sterilize squirrels in the UK. <laughs> Damn. You read that, you're like, whoa, what the hell is a Nutella? Man. That we can sterilize squirrels with it. So I ate Nutella. Does that mean I'm sterile now? Yeah, right. So now Prince Charles has approved a plan during a meeting with the Illuminati-sounding UK Squirrel Accord, (laughs) an association of 32 woodland, timber industry, and conservation organizations whose professed goal is to keep red squirrel populations protected and thriving and grays controlled through targeted and sustained action. All right, so I was going to ask, what the hell does Prince Charles do? Like, he doesn't have any power over anything. This is it. Until you said... The UK Squirrel Accord. I was like, I see where it's going. I, I, that makes sense. When it comes to <laughs> rodents and chocolate, that's his. That's his domain. So that's the, what he focuses so on. So first half of the day, he meets with the UK Squirrel Accord, and then he meets with like the Unicorn Accord, like after or something, right? Yeah. So you know, I think this is a pretty good metaphor for England in general. So <laughs> this UK Squirrel Accord is seeking to protect indigenous red squirrels who are clearly losing the evolutionary battle to craftier, chocolate bar-stealing gray squirrels that were introduced from North America in the 19th century. Trying to so rub the, us out. So the American squirrels are kicking the British school, squirrels' asses. It's Boom. really what it's coming down to. So now they got the, to you know, falsely tip the scales, right? Yeah. Damn. So um, This is what we do. So the targeted America, and baby. sustained actions are set to include luring gray squirrels into a trap 
containing Nutella laced with Gonicon, a vaccine that sterilizes mammals by suppressing the hormones necessary for reproduction. I wonder if that uh, would have the same effect on humans. That's pretty crazy. That's an even scarier thought, is that they're going to test it out on squirrels, and next it's going on us. Well, what if you're walking in the woods, and you see this trap, and you're like, ah, oh, it's a squirrel trap, but there's Nutella, and it's so yummy, and you start eating it. Like, mm-hmm. what happens then? I think if you're dumb enough to eat that, you should be sterilized. <laughs> I think it's a good move. So, so that's, uh, yeah, Darwinism, right? Pretty much, yeah. So that's, uh, wow. I want to know what Prince Charles, what, other, what, what his other duties are. <laughs> and I want to know, is there a, a gray squirrel, squirrel coalition that's trying to fight back saying, why are you killing out the gray squirrels? Can't sure, the squirrels sure just get be. along? Yeah, maybe the maybe the gray squirrels are like these, you know, really clever. I guess they're obviously very clever if they're the ones who are th- thriving, and the red squirrels are the ones who are. They're making the forest great again. They are making the forest great again, <laughs> and that's what they don't like. Yeah, it's really just plain old racism against the gray squirrels. That's it. And they love the ginger squirrels because they're native. Oh yeah, but you, you keep the the ones with the red coats on. I heard that. Heard that before. Yeah. We pushed him out. That's right. It's going to happen again. The squirrel's doing it now. Yep. All right. Well, to follow that up, I think we have a situation where, to battle that, the squirrels may take control over everything if they get control over the Boston Dynamics handle. So we're going to post this video um, yeah, if you haven't seen this yet, um, it looks awesome. this is definitely stage one in Terminator 2. I mean, this, this robot is getting so agile. Yeah, so this is a very agile robot with almost like wheels and that operate like a Segway. So it balances and everything. And it stands up. It has two arms. And they have, like I guess, this video where it's demoing like what this thing can do. And it's very, very agile and precise. It's just, it's almost creepy that it's like, this is a real thing. There's nothing almost about it. It is super creepy. It is super creepy, yeah. I mean, it's it's like what, what you think of what a robot should do, this thing is doing. It's like, holy crap. Yeah, it, it stands upright, but has these wheels. You know, it goes down steps. It even jumps. And the wheels are individual, so the legs are individual. It has two wheels that it's wheeling on. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. And it jumps. Yeah. That's the scariest thing. It freaking jumps now. You saw iRobot with a robot to jump in. This thing is like iRobot, man. It's jumping on stuff. This is a combination of all... This is a prequel to all the horrible robots taking over movie. Yeah. This is like stage one. This is like Miles Dyson at Skynet. This is this is it. If I was like alone, like if I was working in that lab, I wouldn't want to be alone with that, with that thing. I'm like, no, you lock it away in like a, it's got to be like a, a, a vault door and lock it away. And then I'll work, do my work. You got to John Connor, this motherfucker. You got to take, <laughs> take it out. That's all you can you do at this point. Some kind of fail safe where like it explodes the thing or something, man, just in case it gets out of control. I think Ted Kaczynski could have been onto something. This is getting really creepy. This is, it is so cool, but creepy. Like I could see them sending like 20 of these up to Mars. Like, Go do a bunch of crap before we actually land there. 
Yeah, there's one part they actually show it going like downhill, a snowy grass hill. Yeah. Um, there's one scene. It's about a minute and five or about a minute ten in, where they show it just kind of gunning it down the in this parking lot. Oh yeah. And the sound it makes, this like high pitch like death buzz. Yeah. It's just that you can just picture just dozens of these things just taking over cities. What would be cool, you're skiing down a mountain, all of a sudden, like, a bunch of these come out and start chasing you down the mountain. That'd be fucking awesome. Robotski-pocalypse. Robotski-pocalypse, man. It's They're, like, hiding, and then they come out, and they just try to grab you. Yeah. That's one thing they didn't show, that if it could ski or not. I'm sure it could ski. I mean, this thing has wheels. Just replace the wheels with a ski. Mm. That'd be interesting to try out. Or yeah. a board. Put them on a board or a... I like to I like and try both out. I'm gonna write to them. Well the problem is they're gonna do that and it's gonna enhance their overall balance if they can do that. And then we're and even more even trouble. Stronger. Yes. <laughs> Keep them off the mountain. Keep them off the mountain. <laughs> ice skates. This thing easily could be on ice skates. I'm sure it can. And the creepy thing is it probably could skate with one skate and try to stab you with the other skate. They're gonna make super goalies now with these kind of things. Oh, can you imagine that as like the a reflexes? practice goalie? Yeah. Just start taking shots on it, see how many goal how many it could probably stop every puck. It probably would. Be like a, you know, like a tracking device on it. Yeah, it's cr- it's cool. Very, very cool. <laughs> if anybody's into robotics or it it's cool to just see that this stuff is out there, but after a while you watch it, you're just like this is a little creepy. Yes, it's very creepy. So, we'll see uh when Boston Dynamics decides to put these out into the the real world into the public and take us all over. That shit's going to deliver Amazon, man. That'll be the first step. The first step will love it. It'll be super convenient for us. Flying drones. And then you're going to have these walking drones. It's phase one is helps humans. Phase two, question mark. Phase three, our extermination. Exactly. Humans are in the way. Phase four, profit. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All profit. Yeah. All right. Next up, this is a pretty cool product that we just saw. I think it's been out for a little while now, but it was on Uncrate, but it's available on Amazon. So this product is called Sled Legs. Oh, this looks magical. Oh, this looks so cool. <laughs> so, I mean, it pretty much is what it says. You They're can play goal in this. You know, you know what? It reminds me more of like Catcher's leg gear. You yeah. Know, catchers have from their, the top of their shoe to a little bit over their knee. They have the, the protection. Um, but that's usually kind of broken up. There's the knee is separate, and then there's the shin part of it. Right. This is one little mini slit going this from reminds the knee me of to your foot. Gear. No? A little bit. A little bit? Not as fat. The goalie's a lot fatter and won't slide. Yeah. These are little mini sleds made for your legs. <laughs> so you strap mini- these bad boys on, and you could just run up to a hill and... Drop to your knees and just slide down. Oh, the best part is you get a running start. You can like just cruise over and just you're sliding down, man. Yeah. You kind of look like a transformer when you're wearing these. You know, like when the the trucks kind of fold in half and because they pop their wheels out and they ride. Yeah. This is the same without wheels with human legs. You know, somebody could this would be great to do a musical performance of like a play on a ski mountain. Mm. You could sing and as you're, as you're sliding down. It'd be a very dramatic ending, and you got to make sure that friction is there. But otherwise, or lack of friction. Yeah. If you just stopped, it'd be pretty lame. Yeah, it'd be pretty lame. But yeah, there are mini sleds that 
they buckle on behind your legs, and you can slide down snow. All right, how about this? You have these on while you're on the mountain with your snow blades. Boom. You'd be totally unstoppable. Unstoppable. Yeah. You'd snowblade away, or you could slide down. Yeah. Snowblade, sled blade. So still Boom. got plenty of snow out there, so check out these sled legs and enjoy as much of the snow as you can. How about mountain polo with sled legs? Right? Or Almost soccer? like that hockey, like the little, the little mini hockey sticks. Oh, you know how they had the hockey on the... Ski mountain, right? Yeah. Ski hockey. We could do sled, ski sled hockey. Totally. Sled hockey. It'd be kind of fun to launch off jumps with this, except for the whole landing part. Yeah. I don't know how we would do that. <laughs> Maybe into a pool. It'd be super easy to lose control and just go face first and just Yeah, that would crush be. Crush your face. Crush your faces, right? Whew. All right. And then uh, next up, uh, last but not least, we have, as everybody knows, the Oscars were this uh, past weekend. Um, the way they messed up the best picture presentation was magical. <laughs> I mean, they called La La Land, and people started coming up, and then like, no, no. Uh, what was the other one that won? Sit back down. <laughs> um, that one. It was Deadpool. Uh, no. <laughs> Deadpool. It was... That's um, what I would have voted for. Uh, started... I don't even know. Oh, boy. We suck. Moonlight. Moonlight. That's Moonlight? what it was. Yeah. But anyway, so Entertainment uh, Entertainment Weekly posted the video of the whole debacle. So if anybody didn't see it, you definitely go out there. We'll put the link. Uh, but they have the photos of, like, the people in the crowd and, like, just some of the actors... And actresses and their reactions of what was going on when this whole debacle started unfolding. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. I did not watch it, and I still haven't watched the video. I just heard somebody messed up. Well, I watched part of it, and I was like, "Well, I didn't know this was going to be a political rally, so I tur- turned it off." And then I woke up like middle of the night, and there was some news article about. Uh, on the on one of my feeds about the debacle, and I was like, "Oh, now I gotta now I gotta Google it and I gotta look at you know watch it." So I watched and I just laughed my ass off. I was like, "Wow, they really fucked that up." <laughs> it was just funny. That's like the biggest classical, and then of course the the people at Ernst and Young was it Ernst, uh, Price Waterhouse Cooper Price Waterhouse. Yeah. They were responsible for handing that. All you got to do is hand out an envelope. How like, hard is that? Yeah, that's like a really simple job. Like for, like an intern could do that. Like <laughs> read what it says on the envelope. Understand what they're going up and announcing. You give them the right well, envelope. They gave them the wrong one, right? Yeah, they said they had, um, on either side of the stage, they had duplicates of all the uh, different award envelopes. And they gave out an award envelope for, I think it was Best Actress or something, that the La La Land person won mm-hmm. um but they gave it out because the person entered from the other side and they handed out the wrong envelope because they still had it so well i don't know why you wouldn't just throw it out after the announcement but i think it was set up to create i think so buzz too. and to create excitement and to build i mean this whole nonsense story exists because somebody screwed up yeah exactly. you know and everybody loves when people mess up so 
it's possible they just did this to get more more buzz and more people you know viewing these videos i think you're right i mean to view the uh the awards like i'm sure not a lot of people are watching the awards that they would like so now next year oh let's watch the awards to see if they go off without a hitch plus two this video has got to be hosted on youtube or something and if they have ads on that page where the video is they're going to be getting paid for that too it's true you get 10 million views you can make some serious bank off ad revenue banking it every dollar counts these days it's kind of like funniest home videos where basically everybody gets picture everybody gets a video of them getting hit in the chones and they send it in pretty much <laughs> and then it winds up being funniest home videos and it's a whole reel of just people getting hit in the chones yeah. after a while that ain't right and then it becomes unwatchable you're like all right i don't want to see people getting hit in the chones anymore <laughs> i want to see other stuff other funny stuff yep i don't know these award shows are just I, masturbatory events really i mean I just the industry the just patting each other on the back and telling each other how great they are and the only reason i put just it a on a little bubble it's just a little bubble just kind of yeah. mixing and ugh. the only reason i put it on because I, I never watch these there was absolutely nothing else on tv so i was like oh let me flip through i'm like let me leave it on while i'm doing stuff and i was like all right i can't watch this i don't know why i put it on <laughs> it's unwatchable that's why we bring this podcast to you. We don't talk about politics. Well, we kind of do. We kind of like glance Weed politics. around. Weed politics. Yeah, we're just trying to keep people... Uh, Informed. Keep things legal for everybody. Well, it's a, well, see, so the cannabis whole industry and movement behind it, I think that's what we're kind of we're talking the, about. We're powering the people. Powering the people. That's all we want to do. It's a movement. It's yeah. not just, you know... I'm not telling you you have to do it. We're just saying you should be able to if you want yeah, exactly. Yeah, power to the people. It's just like they. What will be next if they stop you from smoking cannabis? What are they gonna stop us from skiing next? Stop that? What? What? Oh no! It's it's endangering the environment by skiing. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. First they came for the pot smokers, and I did nothing. Then they came for the skiers, <laughs> and I did nothing. <laughs> then there was no one else for them to take. Exactly. Right. There you go. I'm telling you. And then pretty soon. All we're doing is working. Working for the man. Yeah. You got to keep it real. That's what global warming is. It's a Chinese conspiracy to stop skiing. That's right. What is China doing about global warming? That's all I want to know. Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> I know. I actually said uh, factory production went up like... There's iPhones to make. Record level. And I'm like, all right, where are the people getting employed? <laughs> Not here. Yep. And, and are they making sure it's uh, environmentally sound? Yeah. Yeah, these are these and other problems we will not solve on the Ski Bump podcast. <laughs> At least not today. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. We'll get into to solving them. That's right. So I guess that wraps it up for the week, huh? Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Please check us out at skibumpodcast.com. You can check out all the links there and all of the, the show notes from this episode and videos. Also check us out on social media, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, occasionally soundcloud.com slash skibumpodcast, and on Pinterest as highfalutin. Occasionally on Pinterest. Yeah, occasionally on Pinterest too. <laughs> Look at Instagram because we're going to post some stuff this weekend of the crazy shit that we're going to do up skiing it's going to be it's going to be a good weekend because back on the slopes yeah we've been so repressed from going to our home mountain that we're, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go big we're gonna hit it hard. i think we, i think you might break the uh, speed record going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
the uh, in uh, what should we call it? The Switch speed Switch record. Speed record. Yeah. It's not outside the realm of possibility. Maybe some other records. The fastest crash doing Switch. Right, that, that could happen too, or possibly the most teriyaki chicken wings eaten <laughs> at Sushi Yoshi. Oh, you could go for the. That's the, the, more of a record I'm inclined to break. You know, the funniest thing is you kind of have to get in with them so they keep bringing them. Otherwise, they're like, "We gave you like two plates. You're you're done, buddy. We're gonna give." Keep it ordering beers. They keep giving you wings. That's true. So nothing washes down beers like chicken wings and vice versa. That's right. And Hill Farmstead, you can't beat that. Delicious. Chicken wings and Hill Farmstead. So there you go. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay high, stay polluting. See ya.